the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. What's on your financial mind? Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anyway, um, show dedicated to you and getting you to make better investment decisions. United States... Um, retiring here, you know, basic idea is you work from age 20 to 60, and then you work from 60 to 100 in retirement, and hopefully working in retirement looks something like vacation because you're not getting income coming in. So hopefully you're doing it right, if you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of ways to get to retirement. Um, some of the mistakes that we make are obviously hindering our ability to get there. Um... So we'll talk a little bit about that during the show today. Um, you need to avoid mistakes is the basic, basic concept of the show. And then you need to have some faith and get along the market. Market makes 52-week highs, 7 out of 10 years. It's at all-time highs. 7 out of 10 years, it's at highs. 6 out of 10, it's at all-time highs. Probably the right way of saying that. Um, but you want to make mistakes. Like um, one of the biggest mistakes people make is not starting with your company retirement plan assets. So concentrating rebalancing activities within your tax sheltered accounts, like the company retirement, mean not only will you not incur any capital gains taxes as you make changes to those accounts, you only pay taxes when you pull money out. Uh, but your 401k, your 403b, your 457, those three 
products or the most likely retirement plans that your company or your school or your government are offering you. So they're typically free of loads. They're typically free of transaction costs. So you want to rebalance your portfolio inside of those on a pretty regular basis. I say at least twice a year. You want to, you know, uh, mistakes people make, failing to pick your spots. Correcting any imbalances within your baseline asset allocation is job number one of rebalancing. You know, do you not want bonds? Do you want bonds? But, you know, taking an equal percentage out of each of your equity holdings and adding proportionally to each of your other positions, it, you know, it pays to be kind of surgical when it comes to balancing your portfolio. Sometimes a mistake people make with their portfolio is not addressing other problem areas. Concentrate, you know, your trimmings on parts of your portfolio that were bugging you anyway. A friend of mine, she gave me her father's portfolio to review, and when I looked at it, you know, the man's approaching 60, and he's got basically 92 to 93% of his holdings in one growth fund. And fortunately for him, that's the case, because it's been the right place to be for the last five years. It's not the right place to be for the next five, especially if you're going to be retiring in the next five, and he's kind of in that area. So he's going to want to diversify at some point in time. So he's got this kind of like faux diversification in his head. Faux meaning not real. Um, he's had to take this like risk, and he did. And at some point in time, it's going to work against him. So don't give up stocks only to load up on bonds with stock-like equity qualities. Um, you know, don't give up uh, bonds to go after stocks that have bond-like qualities. So the goal of portfolio rebalancing is to take risk off the table. And the best way to do that is to make sure your holdings aren't all moving up in lockstep. So, you know, for the last five years, you can make a case for what are called dividend achievers. These are large companies in America, like a Pfizer, like a Merck, like a Lilly, that for their part paid a really large dividend. You know, 3% plus it got like 10% growth which was pretty attractive, all things considered. Um, but it's also a problem. Um, when the market does correct, all stocks get hit. And you know, suddenly, if you had some REITs, publicly traded real estate investment, or if you had some bonds, maybe you know, there would have been a flight to those areas. So try not to you know, say, well, I got income. Who needs a bond when you have income? Rebalancing with, you know, plan distributions. Um, if you're retired and actively taking withdrawals from your portfolio, it's valuable to coordinate rebalancing with withdrawals. That way you can reduce your portfolio's risk level while also freeing up some cash. You not, don't want to move too slowly in your portfolio if it's dramatically out of balance. So, you know, you want to step back, think through it. You want to have a plan and you want to execute. You don't want to go too slow. You don't want to go too fast. You really want to make sure you have the time um, to make the decisions that are proper for you and your portfolio. Those are some of the biggest mistakes I see in portfolio rebalancing. So be careful on that. Just my opinion again that, you know, I tend to think that people make some mistakes. There's recently been some panic selling in London. 
in real estate, which is you know, kind of our next topic here to talk a little bit about. Um, and what does that mean? London's one of those real estate markets that has gone way, 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 way up. And it's turned people into multimillionaires who were once middle class. I guess multimillionaires sounds kind of, maybe I'm being too dramatic, but you get the idea. Bank of England has kept interest rates basically at zero. You know, back in 1979, to get a mortgage, you were paying up to almost like 16%. Now you're paying 2 to 3%. But the income hasn't really kept up with the value of properties. So property prices have jumped. It sounds pretty familiar, right? So some Londoners have started to panic sell their homes. Um, housing prices in the UK declined in July. July. Um, new buyers pulled out of the market. The Bank of England is not likely to raise interest rates anytime soon. Sounds pretty much so kind of like what we're seeing, right? Real estate agent chain Seville's big one over in the UK reported that the London market was topping out. Exchanges on volumes <clears throat> uh, up. Housing prices have not made this high in a while, so people are panic selling. Can you imagine what panic selling looks like in the United States? I can't. We don't really have that, do we? People can't afford to buy houses there. That's the problem. So when you get one seller, two sellers, three sellers could quickly be on four, five, six. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, finances, and more. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I think uh, anything goes some days. You know, like, what does a financial planner do? I think that's one of those questions that a lot of people have out there. And basically what a day looks like for a financial planner is it starts with yesterday. So at the end of the day, you kind of start getting organized and you make a habit out of what to do, of writing down tasks for tomorrow. Make sure that you're on top of everything. You have to be really, really well organized. Somewhere around 4.15, 4.30 in the morning, if you're on West Coast time, you start working if you're a, if you're a market kind of guy. If you've got CFAs and CFPs that work for you, you, you probably don't have to on top of the markets as much. But your day could start with, you know, looking at emails, checking for anything that's urgent. There's times when you get emails from uh, clients that, you know, they want to know 
about the retirement questions and you want to stay on top of those. Um, and you want to stay on top of them because they may be on a, a deadline in their mind. I think you start reading articles. Um, I go through the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I go through mintlife.com. I go through the Financial Times. I look through Reuters. Um, and if you have a good you know, app that pulls all that in together for you, it makes it all that much easier, like Feedly. Um, I try to get in touch, you know, early in the morning with people who are, you know, influential. So I'm always constantly uh, getting people's points of minds and, and opinions and, and influences. Um, I think you want to start, you know, uh, addressing, you know, any financial portfolio issue. So you want to get responses to people who have questions as soon as possible, and you kind of want to start building their, their solutions per se. And then you kind of want to start unwinding at some point in time during your day. Um, but it's all about getting up early and paying attention to the little things. And when I say little things, I'm not talking, you know, inconsequential. I'm talking the details. And you as an investor need to do almost the same exact thing. The iWatch is... The iWatch is in the news all the time. What's it going to be like? What's it going to look like? Apple CEO Tim Cook promised new products in 2014. And we've made it through most of the year with nothing. And that was back at the beginning of the year. He said that we're going to have a lot of, you know, record amount of products this year. Meanwhile, competitors like Samsung and Google have been cranking out new products. Big screen phones, smart watches, fancy headphones. So it hasn't been that long since Apple introduced a new product category. The iPad came in 2010, three years after the iPhone. And the iPhone came almost six years after the iPod. So speed of innovation isn't exactly ramping up at this point in time. So we do know October is going to be the month that the iPhone is expected. So a wearable wrist watch computer. Um, now, what do we know about it and what's rumor and what's not rumor? Well, we do know that it's going to be the most important moment of Tim Cook's career or reign as CEO of the company. It probably will be a make or break product for his legacy. Can he ignite the same kind of excitement around a new product like Steve Jobs did will be a big question. It's not just the product that will make it revolutionary. It's how it's introduced. So the same company that showed, you know, the world, the modern smartphone and the tablet, how will they introduce the wearable device? We've seen a couple companies take a shot at the watch, and they've basically been disasters. Samsung has already released five different smartwatch models in the last 10 months, and I don't think anyone's excited. Do you know anyone who has a Samsung watch who's like, yeah, yeah it's all that in a bucket of chicken? I don't. So it's going to have to be a miniature, a miniature smartphone, right? Um, but what else is it going to do? It's going to track our movement. So it's going to have all sorts of new type of components, not just the same silicon inside your phone. Apple's going to give you know, leeway. They have to have it to explore innovative designs. So 
what we think it's going to be is a two and a half inch display. So we're going to take a look at two and a half inches, and then start thinking about like emails on two and a half inches, and start thinking about text on two and a half inches. And you're like, eh. like on a four inch iPhone, it's tough to type. What do you think it's going to be like on a two inch, two and a half inch phone, right? Sensors will be a big part of the watch. That kind of is expected because it can't be the same experience as a smartphone. So it's going to have to do something completely different. Um, we know that with operating system 8, iOS 8, that there's some sort of health module. And we know that they're working with you know a big uh, healthcare company to track your health records to let you do it. And I, I like that idea. Um, some people are like, oh, you know, privacy. Uh, I'm okay with it. So, um, again, I'm healthy. Now, if I was diabetic and 20 years old, I probably wouldn't want my health records tracked because uh, insurance companies will, you know, take complete, take complete advantage. But also, insurance companies could also, you know, lower. I don't know if you know this, but if you've got any sort of life insurance or health insurance and you lose a lot of weight, it's probably time to get re-rated. Um, probably time to do your blood work one more time and see if you can't qualify for a discount or a lower premium. So the sensors are going to be a big part of it because right now there's everything that's wearable is kind of like it comes from the Island of Misfit Toys. Um, you know, how, how are we going to charge the device? So if it uses kinetic charging, you know, it could possibly be tied into exercise movements. It could possibly charge as little as five minutes. So, and then the software is going to be important. So that's going to be the sensors, the battery, um, the screen size, the software, the way it tracks your movement, and then, you know, how does it get introduced? What is, is it a game changer? Or is it like, oh, here's a phone. Uh, they really have to convince us, you know, out of the gate, in my opinion. Get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I always have seminars coming up, coming to local markets near you. If you'd like to come out and learn how to invest the right way, if you'd like to learn how to retire with style and dignity, there's an event either for creating wealth or an event for managing wealth. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's a funny world we live in. I talk all about money. And one of the areas that I'll talk about, you know, to you, a very expensive thing to do is to move. A lot of people go, what? Think about it. Um, 
you're kind of in a situation where, you know, you're packing up. You're going from one place to the next. Sometimes you have to have a down payment on a house. Not on a house, but on an apartment. Um, don't rely totally on a company to move you. You know, anything that they say, you're going to want to get estimates for. You're going to want to get, like, a moving company to give you two or three estimates. There's a lot of bait and switch when it comes to mover quotes. And then they hold your possessions hostage. So anything you get, you want to get in writing. Movers should offer to visit your home to assess the job. The cost estimate for an in-state move is usually based on the number of hours it'll take. For interstate moves, the cost is likely to be calculated based on weight and distance. Um, when I moved from the east coast to the west coast, I basically sold everything. Packed up one car, uh, one SUV. I put that on a train, and I flew out here, and I waited for my car to come. I didn't even, didn't even drive. Um, you want to make sure you're covered with a homeowner's policy or renter's policy when you move. To provide to make sure that you know your issues while they're in transit somehow, if they break or damaged, you're covered. Um, there is a financial movers hotline if you have a complaint. Um, and there is a database of bad movers. So... It's kind of funky to think about, but it's worth checking into if you're going to do a big cross-country move or state interstate move. Protectyourmove.gov. Protectyourmove.gov. So our government actually has something out there to help us on our moves. I know you're saying, really? And our taxpayers are going to afford this this, this business in Washington, which probably has 300 employees or something ridiculous. Um, okay, I have a confession to make. And this is going to make me sound like a snob. This is going to make me sound horrible. But another area where it comes down to money, in my opinion, is groceries. And I hate Trader Joe's, is my confession. I don't like the Hawaiian shirts. I don't like the hippie angle. Um, I don't like the no questions asked return policy. I don't like the odd items. Like Rosemary and Marcona album, al uh, almonds, like, no, no, no. Or cookie butter, like, no. <laughs> it just makes me grumpy to think about how annoying Trader Joe's is. And I know, uh, if you talk to any, I'm not going to say any woman in the Bay Area, she's like, I love Trader Joe's, I love going to Trader Joe's. I'd rather shop at Walmart than for food than shop at Trader Joe's. That's how vile I find Trader Joe's. That's right, Jack. Now, it's tough to beat Trader Joe's everyday prices, of course. There's few things that are bargains, you know, at other stores quite, you know, I mean, you're saving dollars, not just pennies when you shop at Trader Joe's. And again, I just have a problem with it. I don't know what to tell you. An alternative to peanut butter is almond butter. It's one of the most popular items, but it's not one of their best deals. In fact, it's a really bad deal. Um, you can go to Walmart and get, you know, a similar brand for, you know, buck forty less. But again, that's one of their signature things. Now, if you want to swap out, you know, the almond butter for their organic peanut butter, then you're talking about a deal. Um, organic milk is really, really expensive at Trader Joe's. Organic milk is really, really cheap at Whole Foods. So now the almond soy milk is a good deal at Trader Joe's. But again, there's some things that you just don't want to buy. Um, non-organic fruits and vegetables 
are horrible deals at Trader Joe's. Again, it's up to you to decide like if this is important to you and or not. Um, their cheese is an awful deal at uh, Whole Foods. So very, very expensive. Sliced provolone, you know, 80 cents more for a package than at Safeway. Um, organic chicken is overpriced by about two pounds, $2 per pound. So don't fall in love with Trader Joe's and just go, I love Trader Joe's so much. First and foremost, what's up with the parking lots? Like Their parking lots are out of control. But uh, the Hawaiian shirts I don't trust. So, in fact, I'd probably do a database search of their employees. If I could, I would. Because I'm just saying they're looking a little on the shady side, if you know what I'm saying. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. There's a company that I'm fascinated by, only watching from a distance. And it's called Pandora. I won't get into um, a situation like a Pandora. Too much competition. And I think in the end, it's not in a very big uh, profit margin kind of business, especially since there's so much competition. So one analyst has a $30 price target on it. And I was looking through his notes and through his spreadsheets and trying to like see where he, he's coming up with that. It's a guy named um, Aaron Kessler at Raymond James. So I'll get his research reports. He stated that Pandora held a 77% of the internet radio's market share. And I think those are old numbers. If you look at, you know, the 10Q, 10Q, um, publicly traded companies like Apple and Pandora, they have to come out with quarterly reports, annual reports. Um, and then their annual report, they come out with this really pretty, you know, uh, annual letter to the shareholders and, you know, just a whole investment packet. I don't care about that. I care about the quarterlies and the S filings the most. So you go back and they had 77% of the internet radio market share. So Kessler's like using an old number, which is kind of weird because there's been a lot of companies coming online, you know, to compete with them. So they only have three and a half million paid subscribers and a total of 76.4 million active listeners. So the three and a half million paid subscribers is kind of important because Spotify's numbers are, are important and, iHeartRadio is important. Uh, we'll talk about this in just a second. So, now, the active users quarter to quarter isn't growing very fast. It grew two-tenths of 1% in six months, so it doesn't have massive total users like um, Facebook. Pandora boosted um, listener hours this quarter. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean good things or bad things. It just, okay, Total hours listened, they're up. Let's take a look at that. Now, it's older listeners who are listening longer. It's not, again, they're not getting new user growth. Um, it, I don't see how that's beneficial in the long run. You know, Pandora can squeeze in a few more commercials for sure, but that's not sustainable growth when the commercials are so darn cheap. You need active listeners that, um, you know, you need those numbers to grow pretty darn fast. Spotify has about 10 million paid subscribers. And again, go back to Pandora, and they got about 3.5 million. And Spotify has 40 million active users. Um, iHeartRadio, we think, has about 50 million active listeners. Um, that means iTunes Radio, Google Play, Rhapsody, they've maintained their minor market share of about 
that leaves Pandora with only 35 to 40% market share, which means they're losing a large part of their market share very rapidly in the last six months. So you can't really base your numbers like Kessler did off that 77% market share, because I don't think that's true. And I think we'll continue to see the numbers decline. Now, here's where I think they're going to have an opportunity. Pandora is in cars. I don't know, and we, no one really knows, and from the developer kit that we've seen tied towards Apple um, in cars and Google in cars, we don't really know if it's going to be an open platform or it's going to be a very, very closed platform. So, for instance, if your screen and backup screens are going to be required on all cars by 2017, I think. So right around 2017, I just see more and more of our cars being 100% plug your phone into it and it will run the operate it'll run something for you. So whether you can get emails or whether you like again we be able to do Microsoft Outlook or we just be able to check webmail. It it we don't know. And we don't know what apps are going to be allowed on and what apps are not going to be allowed on, but you have to think Pandora has a pretty good chance of landing in your car dashboard. And if that's the case again, you know, the number of listening hours will go higher and the average users will go higher. I mean, our car is the ultimate mobile device. We're in our car a lot, and we are moving in our car a lot. Um, it's funny to think that, you know, our mobile phone, we're using it 2.7 hours a day. 2.7 hours a day. That's crazy. Um, and most of it's on the computer side of it and not on the phone side of it. So um, Pandora just announced a big deal with Merlin, which is a big independent rights group tied towards, you know, thousands and thousands of acts. Um, so in, a company like Pandora now is also trying to grow not only, you know, more content, more users, but a bigger footprint. So getting into Australia, New Zealand, for instance, they just hit 2 million plus users. Uh, you're going to continue to see those kind of strategies be important for companies like a Pandora, but also for a company like a Netflix, subscriber-driven. But I'm not all that impressed with the numbers we're seeing out of Pandora. Love the product at times, but not that impressed. Spotify, I love it even more. Uh, and I wouldn't pay for Pandora, but I would pay for Spotify, which is interesting to think about. I'm Rob Black. We'll take a break here. Find me online at robblack.com. Seminars coming up. Sign up at robblack.com. calls in the air. I did something kind of goofy in a story recently tied towards, you know, 80% of NFL players experience financial hardship three years after leaving the NFL. 
So when you're watching the NFL and you're seeing these great players do these great moves and they're incredibly strong and all that fast and what have you, um, 80% of them hit some sort of financial difficulty within three years. Um, it's kind of interesting that professional athletes go down that road because you're like, they make so much money. I'd play for free. You wouldn't play for free. You'd be killed if you played for free. There's um, a rookie transition program that gets people going from, you know, college life to professional life in the NBA. So I'm, of course, I'm talking football players running out of money, but NBA players have problems too, obviously. Um, they give some financial advice. They give some advice that's kind of funny to look at. And I was just reading through some of the the little tidbits of the advice that they give rookies. If your soup is too hot, do not blow. Stir. And I go, okay. Okay, now this is going to help me how? When you say something, say, "Mm mm-hmm. When you disagree with something, say, "Mm mm-hmm. So, obviously, you know, you're at practice and coach says, you know, something angry at you. Like, hey, no, you're bouncing the ball the wrong way. And you disagree. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, I think that's pretty good advice. That, you know, don't let your boss get under your skin and mouth off at him. Another piece of advice that they give is that people are always watching. So, when you go to do something like, and this happens at every workplace, every single workplace, um, some guy gets in the male bathroom and does something horrific. It's happened at every workplace. Go talk to someone today and like, have you ever heard of a toilet issue or toilet story here? And there's something. So people are always watching. Just know that. You know, um, you forget that your security key logs when you're in, logs when you're out. So if you're the only one on the weekend and you get this crazy idea like, oh, I'm going to show them, you're going to get caught. And you're going to lose your job. So be cautious on that. Hydration is the difference between steak and beef jerky. Now that's a really, really simple piece of advice to give to an NBA player, a rookie. But it does tell you, you know, super high quality food, steak versus beef jerky. Water is the difference. Drink lots and lots of water. Um, this is a good piece of advice. You can buy nice sneakers at a store in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know what that means, but it's a good piece of advice. Obviously, NBA players like sneakers, and maybe what they're trying to say is, like, you don't have to go out in the middle of the night to get sneakers off the street, or I don't know. What's it even mean? Okay. Make sure your hair is clean is another piece of advice they give NBA players. I agree with that. It's simple. But, you know, if you go to work with nappy hair, people are going to say, he's got nappy hair. I have nappy hair some days. Like, today I didn't shower, and I look like I didn't shower. I showered yesterday. I showered the day before, usually. Um, I shower at the gym a lot. So, to save water from my water bill. And you're saying, you are that kind of cheap. Yes, I am. Um... Here's a good piece of advice. Again, it's NBA advice that they give to the rookies. Don't cover your neck in tattoos. I totally agree. If you're a 
if you're a chick, if you're a lady, lay, lady, lay. Um, put it where your hair can grow over it. Like, and again, the biases in life, it, it's just you're in the NBA. You're you're basically God-given talent, right? And it's tough to argue that you know you're only going to last three years. The average NFL player only plays less than three years. And then you're going to have to go and sell cars. You're going to have to go and do something. And those outrageous tattoos are going to come back and, like, car dealer guy just happens to be, you know, uh, old school. I don't like them, their tattoos. And you're out of luck. So don't put yourself in that scenario, in my opinion. Here's another piece of advice that the NBA gives their rookies. Be a sponge. I like that. I don't know if that means, like, literally try to suck up all the water. Or if it means all the information. Um, people decide, here's another piece of advice. People decide everything about you based on your f- first ten words you say. I think, obviously, that's speaking to some articulation issues. But it also does say that first impressions do matter. I've got a friend who works in a work environment where her boss doesn't like her. And it might have been a first impression that she didn't even know she was given, and it might have already have happened. Here's the, the mysterious piece of advice that they give their rookies. Lindsay Lohan is irresponsible. I'm like thinking about that. I'm like, damn right she is. Like, let's throw in Kim Kardashian, too. So instead of idolizing these people, let's know, what, let's call them for what they are. Um, another piece of advice, and I love this. This is, again, advice they give players. Her name is probably not really Sparkle Smith. Sparkle. <clears throat> Shiver. Um, yeah, it's probably not really Sparkle Smith. Lindsay Lohan is irresponsible. Watch who your role models are. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, I take that 
as seriously as I can. Hopefully you do as well. I want you to be a better financial investor. I want you to get to retirement. I want you to have wealth that is more than you have now and that allows you to do things that you've always wanted to do. Um, I look at our time on this planet as pretty short and working you know, 60 hours a week till you die, not the way I want to live my life. When we talk money and investing, there's phases in your life that we should hit, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, right? Then you're basically retired. You earn money in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and your 50s, and that's it. So you have to supplement what the government gives you in retirement because what the government gives you is not a lot, especially after you pay for medical insurance and medical issues. It's almost nothing. So it's very, very minor. Your 30s are your time when I think you really financially have to start getting your act together. I've got to watch what I say because do we have a dump button? A delay? Oh. I probably shouldn't announce that. Um, your 30s are typically your time for settling down after using your 20s to take risks. So, you know, your 20s, you don't, you don't realize it, but you're gonna, there's going to come a point where music's not that important anymore. But in your 20s, like, I got to go to the festival. I got to go to Thailand. Gotta, and you're like, later you're going to go like, man, that was expensive. And I went with a friend who was really not that much of a friend, all things considered. So a lot of 30-somethings, you know, mistakes you can make, or you start to raise a family and you kind of forget some of your goals that you need to really need to start getting together on right now. You don't want to abandon your lofty ambitions, but you do want to abandon your less than lofty. I've got a friend, like I said, who she spends a lot of money on music and festivals. And that's okay. That's nice. I'm not against it in any way, shape, or form, but I did too. And I can tell you that as I got older, it became less of an ambition for me, uh, less of an aspiration and other things became up bigger. 20-somethings are often willing to settle for a job that they're not passionate about. You can't afford to do that in your 30s. Now is the time to get um, the career satisfaction that you want. So if you ever wanted to start a business or pursue a side project, it's, it's now in your 30s. Don't put your career ahead of your friends and family. Um, don't just work. you got to make some memories in there as well older you get, the harder it is to make meaningful relationships. So foster the meaningful ones when you're younger. Financially speaking, uh, I can tell you that you know I don't have that many friends because I pursued a career and I do regret it. And there's people in television that I've worked at for 14 years and I don't, I don't know their names. And I, I started getting better about that. Like I'd know their email names, but I went, they'd work in a different part of the building. And they'd walk by me, and I'd be like, who's that? And just because I'm on air, everyone knows my name. But it doesn't work both ways, and it's sad when it doesn't. Big mistake you can make in your 30s is neglecting your health. Um, you lose the ability to maintain your muscle as you get older, so don't lose it. Um, continue going to the gym. One day cardio, one day... Uh, weights, one day cardio, one day weights, and take three days off for all I care. You're doing better than everyone else at that point. Try to walk a little bit on the weekends or garden or do something with physical activity. Don't just sit on the couch. Some of my friends who are in their 30s, and I've got one who's pushing 40 now, so she's at the end of her 30s. Um, she wants kids, and 
the time to do it is in your 30s, early 30s, mid-30s. It gets a little bit more complicated for a woman in their 40s. The chances of, of babies going wrong as far as health-wise and get a little bit higher. And if you have a special needs kid, it's expensive. So let me assure you that, that you know, everyone wants the best for their children. So try to do it in your early 30s. I'm having a baby at, like, the numbers start getting risky around 43. And even then, it's not even all that risky. Like, you're talking like 1 in 10,000, but it's starting to get more risky for sure. Um, in your 30s, a big mistake people make is they don't spend time with their parents. Um, this is about the time when your parents are going to go. If your parents had you in their early 20s, then, you know, their late 50s or something like that, right? But if they had you in their 30s or 40s, they can go any day. So um, I know this because my dad went 22, 23 years ago. Um, and I miss them. And I missed the opportunities to get to know him. And it was actually kind of sweet because he was diagnosed with cancer and he was told he had six months left to live. And I got to spend those six months embracing getting to know him. Um, I know him better than my brothers do. And, you know, I got to ask, like, how did you and mom meet? How did, like, and I, I know those memories are in my head. Uh, they're not in my brother's heads. So it's worthy of note. Get to know your parents now because when they're gone, they're gone. And it can happen pretty darn fast. So I've lived over half my life without a dad. That realization's kind of like it's heartfelt. Um, so my dad wasn't the best dad, but with that said, uh, you know, uh, if there's anything that you need to say you're sorry for, do it now because otherwise you're gonna be in therapy later. So and therapy's expensive, I know. So um, and there's some people who have like fights with their dads and then hang up the phone all angry. Remember when you used to be able to throw the phone? And now it's like, oh, oh, oh wait, wait, that's a $600 computer. You can't throw it. Or you'd slam the phone down to make your point. Now to make your point, you just hang up early. <laughs> you don't throw it because it's too expensive. Wait, wait, my phone is on that. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, what a jerk uh, musician. Musician uh, just took someone's phone the other day. He doesn't like having his photos taken. And uh, took took the guy's cell phone and threw it across the stage. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. It was the guy who did the It's All Right song in the 70s. Um, and now he's an old, bitter singer. And uh, I don't know. I'll just say that. But let people take selfies at your concert. Don't get strung out about it. So turn the other way. Don't stress. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. A couple of the things that, uh, you know, I think people make huge mistakes on in their life is, um, you know, they don't set up a financial foundation in their 30s. Your 20s, I kind of get that, you know, you're not going to be the most responsible and have $100,000 saved up by the time you're 30. I know one person who has. I know one person who in their 20s saved over $100,000. Um, that I can think name-wise. I'm sure I've known a couple other, you know, by email stuff. And you can always email robertroblackshow.com. It's robertroblackshow.com. But in your 30s, you know, you have to set up that foundation because now you're running out of time. You have wasted 25% of your working career not saving money. And you don't want that. Um, and sometimes in your, like, 30s, you try to set up a business and it does doesn't go well. Like, I tried to open a business once, a restaurant called Bulimics, and it went out of business pretty quickly. 
Um, lost all my money on that venture. Should have charged for the bathroom, though. Probably would have made a killing there. And also, the biggest, biggest, biggest mistake people do in their 30s is once they start having kids, they stop going on dates with their significant other. Um, they stop going to concerts. They stop having fun. Doesn't mean you can't have fun. You just have to be, you know, you can't be cynical about it. You can't go, oh, this concert costs so much money. And then not enjoy it, right? Enjoy it. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of the more wise people of our time, and it's not thought of it to be as wise, was Albert Einstein. And one of his quotes that I used to love was, he talked about politics, and this is my opinion on politics, and I'm not Albert Einstein in any way, shape, or form. Einstein said, I am by heritage a Jew, by citizenship a Swiss, and by makeup a human being, and only a human being without any special attachment to any state or national entity whatsoever. It's like, whoa. (laughs) Did he just say he doesn't believe in politics? Kind of did. Um, another quote that he made, again, these are good because you can take from these and you can apply them to your life in a funny way, and it can even affect your financial life. For instance, he once quote was quoted on common sense. He said, common sense is nothing more than a deposit of prejudice laid down in the mind before you reach 18. And, well, okay. In investing, you don't want to have prejudices. You don't. Um, you want to be motivated to go out there and find as much truth as you can, even if that truth conflicts with your your wants and your desires. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One of the greatest albums of all times, The Roots, the tipping point before quest love was a household name and the roots were on tv every night there was the tipping point the band six album great album if you get a chance to check it out um and again album i know you're saying what is an album i know people under 30 showing off their their youth 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air it's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air Capitalism has existed for over 500 years, and there's 10 or 11 companies, in my opinion, that have shaped human society more than others, and they've changed commodities, they've changed, um, they gave us microwaves and cheeseburgers, things like that. And if you go through history, you're going to see you know, some of these companies where you know, great ideas 
to get invested into. Some of them you couldn't have. You know, you can't go back in time and go 1600, the British East India Company. The British East India Company accounted for half the world's trade at one point in time. Can you imagine that? Dominating spice. Other items on the state-sanctioned company's resume was dominating India, starting opium wars in China. This was a pretty powerful, again, I'll say it, you know, even if you won't, capitalist company. Um, and then it, they got kind of like in that whole taxation without representation problem. And the Tea Party happened in Boston. And back before, that's when the Tea Party meant something other than a bunch of, well, I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> or how about another important company in the past from history? If you can go back in time and invest in the Otis Company in 1853, it was the first time in human history the majority of people lived in cities um, in 2008. And we take it for granted as we go denser and denser, we grow taller and taller, we need elevators. Before Otis's invention, buildings rarely reached seven stories. Elevators were considered just too dangerous to implement. It was the Otis elevator that would, you know, allow for creation, proliferation, skyscraper. An explosion that would be, you know, forever alter the 20th and 21st centuries. So right now, skyscrapers, Hong Kong's got like 1,200 of them. New York's got 600 of them. Tokyo's got 400. Shows you the size and scope of how big Hong Kong is when it's got twice as many skyscrapers as New York, right? Another important company in the history of capitalism was Standard Oil, Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller founded it. Um, 1870, he became the richest American in history. He had an estimated net worth of $440 billion. The money came from leading a monopoly of the most valuable commodity in the world. Uh, he controlled refining, distributing, and basically the whole oil industry. Supreme Court broke up Standard Oil in 1911 on the grounds that the mega corporation violated the Sherman Antitrust Act. Uh, then that was broken into 34 companies, and those descendants included things like Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, Philips, Conoco. It's a big part of the history of capitalism. In 1877, a company came along and did something that no other company was able to do, let you make phone calls. A year after the phone was invented in 1876, it took one year. Um, you know, Alexander Graham Bell started the Bell Telephone Company. It was acquired by American Telephone and Telegraph, which American Telephone and Telegraph becomes AT&T. The company became the center of American telecommunications, and it was a monopoly until 1984 when the government broke it up, like Standard Oil. <clears throat> and now what's kind of funny is all those companies, all those baby Bells bought each other, and now they're all acquiring each other again. And they were kind of reforming into one major company. You know, the only one, you know, AT&T versus Verizon. And I would say Verizon's, that's about it. As far as dominance go at this point in two, go. Um, 1892, a company came along, GE, and they changed your home a lot. They put a lot of appliances into your home. In 1905, GE bought toasters and electric ranges. They you know, they brought them into our houses. 1905. Think about that for a second. 100 years of having a toaster, and that technology hasn't changed too much. GE introduced the first hermetically sealed home refrigerator in 1970, 1917. In 1930, the first electric washing machine. In 1935, 
lamps lit the first nighttime baseball game. GE invented the fluorescent lamp in 1938. The first American jet engine in 1942. The dishwasher in 1954. The first nuclear power plant in 1957. And they came out with a can opener. A can opener in 1958. When you just can't possibly turn the can opener with your hand and you need it automatically done for you, that's what GE brought to the world. So that level of sustained innovation is pretty unparalleled. They're the only company from the original Dow Jones Industrial Average that started in 1896. So they've been around for a long time. Can't, it, can't talk about modern capitalism without talking about Ford, right? When Henry Ford went in the workshop behind his house in, 19, in 1896, and he comes up with the first gasoline-powered vehicle. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. So two major inheritances came from Ford. Um, in 1908, Ford introduced the Model T, fulfilling his dream of making a car that would be middle class could afford. In 1918, he basically accounted for half the cars in America. Um, and they've always kind of gone for the economy car, that angle. Um, but you know, the other big thing that he did was organization. Without you know, Henry Ford, he was a pioneer of mass production. Uh, without that skill set, America would never have led the world and become become the superpower that it did. So he used interchangeable parts and assembly lines to allow the economies of scale that consumer goods companies strove for. 1906, another company that's incredibly powerful to, uh, to the United States and to capitalism was Xerox. Um, you know, researchers at its famed Palo Alto Research Center invented the mouse, the desktop computer, the graphic user interface, the GUI. One of the greatest failures of corporate leadership, the leaders of Xerox didn't think the graphical user interface was that big of a deal. So they allowed companies like Apple and Microsoft to make the most of it. You know, Xerox never commercialized all the wonderful technologies at the Palo Alto Research Center, but the company did earn billions from the innovations and it made their money back many times over. But that came out in 1906, um, Xerox, and they've been around for a long time. And now they're kind of just a shadow of shell of a company, right? Their, their company name, let's go make a Xerox, is synonymous with making a copy. That's kind of interesting. Um, 1927, Pan Am brought capitalism to the world. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I'm going to get back to a couple companies that I admire and what they brought to the world, but there's not many left. Um, one of the best things that I think you can do to help your you know, children become successful is to give them an allowance. Um, I got allowance as a kid, and I would always promote you know, allowances. So I don't want an allowance when I'm 60, but I want allowance when I'm six, right? Um, having an allowance teaches you a little bit about money. 
teaches a little bit about responsibility. For instance, to me, and I could extrapolate this pretty grand scale, is I think college is kind of about learning how to get up and go to work and turn in the report that your boss wants to see. For some people, college is a much grander skill, but for most Americans, it's all about you know showing that you can get through four years on a consistent schedule consistently. And that's why when you graduate like a six-year program or seven-year program when it was supposed to be a four, your boss may look at that and you may not get hired. Um, so one of the things I, I'm pushing for here, again, is that you kind of grasp the things that you do. And I think an allowance is great. I have a friend, CFP Chad Burton. Um, he does something pretty interesting with his children. He makes them give part of it to charity, and he makes them save part of it. So if they get $10, a dollar goes to charity, a dollar goes to saving, automatically. Um, I love that. And I think that's going to change the way he saves. I think that's going to change the way they grow up. I had a little piggy bank that was a uh, kind of cash register that you had to put quarters in. It was made out of just hardcore steel. I remember like if you wanted to hurt your brother, you could pick it up and throw it at him. Which, for the record, um, my brother David, who's the middle child, I was the fifth boy. My mom had five straight boys. So my brother David once was on like one of those religious television shows. I don't know why. I don't know how. Like We weren't like a go-to a religious television programming show kind of family. But they pulled him up on camera, and they said, so what was your favorite thing you did today? He said, beat up my brothers. <laughs> Like, is that great? It's probably not the Christian answer they were looking for. But, yeah, just something as silly as, you know, that red savings banks. It taught me money. It taught me math. It it taught me patience because you had to have 40 quarters to open it up. It only opened at $10, and it locked at $10.25, so it would roll back over. So the first 25 cents, you kind of have a little leeway to open it up and stuff. And then you'd, like, have to get more quarters so, um, so starting early in investing, you know, you could show your kids, you know, if they get, a, you know, five hundred dollars from grandparents for whatever reason, and that sounds like a lot of money, and it is, have them invest it, have them see how it goes, um, match your kids, just like a four hundred one k, show them that if they put a dollar in, you'll put a dollar in, free money, and later in life they're going to see that four hundred one k and the matching, they're going to go, I'm in. So I want you to start thinking about that, please. A couple other things I want to talk about. Generics are just as good as, you know, things that are well marketed. Cereal, most types of breakfast cereal, such as bran flakes, corn flakes, and so forth, it's indistinguishable from the brand names. Spices, um, the only difference is the method used for drying them. If you're not easily to determine that information, generic Spices and herbs are just as good as expensive ones. Um, gasoline. The state of California, or whatever state you're in, they've got regulations on gasoline. And even you know cheap gas has to meet those regulations. So you're just wasting money by going to a, a brand station if you've got a discount station close by. Sugar. You don't need... Safeway sugar is just as good as you know the, the pretty sugar in the yellow box. And I, I don't even know. Like, that's, that's how cheap I am. I buy generic sugar. Um, electronic cables. Um, difference is negligible. 
but you'll hear some like enthusiast go, oh no, you need to get the gold-plated HDMI cable. Get the gold-plated HDMI cable. And no, HDMI cable, if you can see the difference, then you should be a fire pilot or something. Like you should be in a different industry. Generic items to skip, diapers. As a guy who wears diapers, I can probably say that I've never missed a moment of concert. The sad thing is, is that a joke? I want you to think about that. Uh, And tonight when you're on your date, do not tell your Tinder date, I'm wearing a diaper so I don't miss a moment with you. (laughs) Because she may laugh, but she's going to run too. Just so you know. Um, and that's all I got for you. You know, the, the one area where I do buy brand is electronics. Like, I'd rather have a brand new Apple phone or a brand new Motorola phone than a refurbished one. Refurbished just never feels right to me um, as far as in electronics go. So a couple companies that I want to highlight real quick. Um, these are companies that kind of changed the world um, and changed capitalism. Pan Am in 1927. They made flying a stylish thing to do. They established slickness, and you know companies like Virgin have been riffing on that ever since. Uh, luxury was a practice business, um, and they got they did it. They were the first ones. They would buy first editions of new planes like Boeing 707, 747, and they created incentives for manufacturers while keeping Pan Am aggressively elite in their mind. It was a, a model of a airplane of an airplane business. Company that changed the way we eat, McDonald's. Let me tell you a little something about McDonald's. They employ over 1.9 million people. His empire slings burgers, Ronald McDonald's, that creepy clown, which for the record, he's kind of creepy. 70 million customers a day in over 35,000 restaurants in 100 plus countries. There's 13 billion servings of French fries involved in all that. Beyond making fast food a very big thing, they became, you know, the envy of of the world, and they kind of stood for American culture, which is pathetic. Um, I have a friend who's French, and she'd go, "Do you want to get a hamburger?" And uh, so it's symbolic of our society, for better or for worse. Um, Jeff Bezos worked there. Rachel McAdams, Jay Leno. Uh, at one point in time, I think one in four teenagers worked at McDonald's. I don't know if that's the case anymore. But at one point in time, that's what it, what it was at. Walmart changed the way we shopped in 1962. Um, Sam Walton opened his first Walmart in Rogers, Arkansas. Um, in 17 years, he hit a billion dollars in sales. Walmart's continued to take over the world. 90% of Americans live within 15 minutes of Walmart. 90% of Americans live within 15 minutes of Walmart. It averages a profit of about $1.8 million an hour. Uh, Now, it's interesting to watch the people under the age of 30. They don't care about Walmart or Target. They don't care about super centers. Super centers are dying. Um, So be careful with your investments. I think the last company that I really want to hit on, and I think they're important to capitalism. I could probably do Microsoft, but I'd prefer to do Google. 1996, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, Stanford which if you go to Stanford today and just look at their MBA department, go have lunch with the MBAs. There's a lot going on there. Um, It's an empire. They find information. They communicate information. They communicate, and they set agendas on what we see and what we watch. 
it's pulling at 114 billion requests a month, um, 65% market share. That's pretty powerful. Um, 500 million times a day, Google search gets a query it's never seen before. In September of last year, Android passed 1 billion devices, activations. YouTube is entrenched in the way we watch videos now. 1 billion people visit YouTube every month, and 100 hours of video are uploaded every minute. Um, what's interesting to note about that is teens now worship YouTube stars more so than Hollywood celebrities. Again, changing the world. According to Variety, it found the five most influential figures amongst American ages 13 to 18 are all YouTube favorites. Wow. Is that right? They, um, and that, you know, that puts people like Jennifer Lawrence and Seth Rogen, who, you know, used to be celebs that it could influence, they're losing their, their ability. There's an online comedy team of Ian Andrew Hecox and Anthony Padilla. They're both 26. Who? First Hollywood celebrity that appeared on uh, the list was, you know, Paul Walker at number six of influential people. So YouTube stars, top five influential teenagers. I find that amazing. Um, and again, it changes the way we're consuming media. And again, that's Google. That's YouTube. So um, I think that's worthy of note. Who are some of the other ones? Um, it's like, I don't even know these. Um, Smoosh. PewDiePie. P-E-W-D-I-E. PewDiePie. Uh, the Fine Brothers. Really? Ryan Higa has a pretty high score. So teenagers don't really care about Hollywood celebrities as much now. Shane Dawson. KSI. I'm not on this list. I'm not imported on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel. Rob Black Show. Rob Black Show. Bethany Moda. Jenna Marbles. These are all popular YouTube stars that... Oh, by the way, the autograph is now dead. It's now selfies. Selfies are the new autograph, right? If anyone wants a selfie with me, I will do it. No one wants a selfie with me. I'm Rob Black. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. So I work in a radio station and something I recommend in your career is, and this is a, actually a good recommendation if you're on, if you're dating too, is leave your phone at home. <laughs> I know it sounds like really odd advice. Leave your Facebook at home. Leave both of them at home. Don't do them at work. Anyone I see playing with their phone at work, anyone I see playing with Facebook at work, I'm like, slacker. Like, instantly, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, right? And again, we're talking about sometimes first impressions go a long way. Um, when I hear the big bosses coming to town, I put on pants. You know what I'm saying? I, I make it a little bit more of a show. Um, just, just not saying anything, but not saying anything, but kind of saying something. So, a couple things... Um, that I want you to do in your 40s. You have to stop worrying at some point in time 
and you have to really grow up. You know, in your 20s, I'm going to give you some room for mistakes. I hope you're maxing out your 401k, and I hope you're diversifying in, like, S&P 500, in, like, a Russell 2000, in a mid-cap fund, maybe in some sort of emerging market fund, and maybe some sort of income fund. If you were to do those five, I'm fine. If you were to do 20% in your 20s, into those five categories, I'm fine. You don't have, it's not rocket science. It's accumulation. Um, I once dated a rocket scientist. It's on my resume. Just so you know. Playboy model. Two of them. On my resume. Just so you know. So, in your 40s, you know, in your 20s, you, you got to start accumulating wealth. In your 30s, you got to stop making mistakes. In your 40s, you got to have a plan. Um, you got to stop working your tush off, so to speak. You have to have a comprehensive plan, which is even more important. A financial plan is not as difficult as it sounds. You can do it yourself, or you can hire a financial planner. All you have to do is assemble your banking statements, your investment statements, your insurance documents. Figure out how, roughly how long you plan on working, how much you'll save, and how much it costs for you to live. A budget. If you have that information, you can you know, start running projections. Don't worry about having the exact numbers for saving and spending. Use educated guesses. You want to implement some sort of tracking system for the future. I like Mint.com. stands for Money Intelligence. Um, play around with, with your budget. Play around with the numbers. If your plan doesn't work, don't let your brain do the Watuzi. You have plenty of time to continue to like make some minor shifts and start tinkering on how much you need to save to get your goal. Keep in mind, your goal should be about a million dollars. We'll pay you forty to sixty thousand dollars a year in income, maybe a little bit less than sixty. Most valuable result of running a financial plan when you turn forty is you start learning things. Spending for me wasn't really a problem, but it's an important area to focus on. For me, my goals were very long term, so I needed to stay on target with you know solid long term plan strategy. You know. Uh, maxing out my 401k is part of it, but also putting some money aside for projects like um, I want a Tahoe house or putting money aside for other things. And it was imperative that I hit my monthly savings numbers, but it was also imperative that I hit my extras like I want more money aside. So start a financial plan in your 40s. Don't be afraid of that P word, plan. Life insurance. 40s is when you're at your peak need for life insurance. Um. And I've got term life that I bought in my 20s that was for, you know, 30 years. I've got term life that I bought in my 30s that will expire, in, you know, when I'm 60. Um, I got term life, you know, recently. You know, I changed my valuation in case I die. You know, want to pass money on to my heirs in a tax-efficient manner. So I have term life insurance. Term life insurance is still pretty cheap at the young age of 40. Um, I don't believe in whole life. I don't believe in variable life unless you're super wealthy and you're doing estate planning needs where you're giving money to a charity and that charity is giving money to your heirs. I can't make a case for whole life or variable life in any other case. I'm sorry. I can't. Uh, and that baby Gerber plan that they start buying life insurance on your kid and like later in life they could use it as a loan. Well, how about this? How about you save in your kid's name and later in life they have that money? Duh. Right? But the life insurance policy is a way of getting a, a loan that you have to pay back to yourself. It's an awful product. Whole life, variable life, awful. And the fact that they're buying it on kids is ridiculously silly. Do you know how many kids die? Not many is the right answer. 
Uh, and if you're in a, in a situation where you're buying life insurance on your kid because he might die, move! Get out of the ghetto. Or, you know, do something. Another thing you got to do in your 40s is debt. At that stage of the game in your 40s, you really... The only debt you should carry is a mortgage and possibly a car loan. Um, any other type of debt that you have, it's, it's going to weigh you down. Um, I get angry at debt. I hate it. I kill it. I tear it to pieces. Um, no mercy. Slash your spending. Get a second job. Rent out a room. If you're carrying any sort of credit card debt, get out. Again, the only debt you can have in your 40s is mortgages and possibly a car. And like a credit card, you know, if you're like at Macy's and you're buying a mattress, and they're like, here, you get a $1,000 credit for buying this mattress today. Or $1,000 in credit plus 15% off. And then it's like a 23% credit card. It's only uses for one time to get that 15% off. But then what you just did is you open a credit card and then you close it and the average age of your credit card suddenly looks bad. I would not get the 15% off. Sorry. Look for a coupon, look for a deal, buy it on President's Day, whatever, but don't get that store credit card. Um, and then you also want to come up with a called a family continuing, continuation plan. A lot of people don't plan that they die in their 40s, but sometimes they do. Um, and if you've got children, you know, you have to have things that you start estate planning around. Um, you might pay an hour or two to give a consultation on a estate plan. You might use a legal prep service like LegalZoom to actually prepare and produce the trust or the will. Finances in your 40s are a matter of creating a dynamic plan and updating it every year. But, like, you and your wife can go out tonight, get in a car crash and die, and what's going to happen with your kids? What schools are they going to go to? Who's going to take care of the children? Are they going to move in with a sister? Does the sister want them? you got to make that plan in your 40s. I see way too many people pass way too early. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.